Hi, I'm Shannon Salvestro, Literacy Coordinator, K-12 for the New South Wales Department of Education. I'm here today with Professor Anne Castles from Macquarie University. And, and I'd like to ask you a few questions about learning to read. Sure. So, first of all, I think we should start with what is your definition of reading or what do you see the goal of reading as? Well, ultimately, of course, the goal of reading is to go from that printed text on the page to meaning. That's what we all want. <laughs> That's what we as skilled readers do. We want all children to be able to pick up a book and be able to um, understand what it is that the person writing that book um, wanted them to know. The ultimate goal of reading is to make meaning. Should we start reading instruction by using meaning? I think this has been one of the big sources of misunderstanding mm. and confusion in reading instruction and in the way that we teach reading in that um, just because the ultimate goal is to make meaning and to to extract meaning from text that doesn't it doesn't automatically follow from that that that's the best way to teach reading and I often give the analogy of um, you know a child learning to play the piano now you might look at somebody you know a skilled pianist playing a Tchaikovsky score and you might think well look at them they're absolutely amazing look how fluent they are we want our child learning to play the piano to be like that so let's put them in front of the Tchaikovsky score and get them to copy whereas we know it doesn't work like that what children learning to play the piano need to do is get those very basic skills and learn their scales and practice and learn about finger position and over time they build up that expertise that that we see but you can't start at the end point you have to go through a learning process that learning process we we, we talk about teaching phonics systematically and explicitly does that mean we're talking about teaching phonics in isolation the what we mean by teaching systematically and explicitly is we want to make sure that this is not something that's just happening as the children are going along while they're reading because children may then miss things and you don't get to make sure that all of the required knowledge is there and you don't get to um, step through it in a logical sequence. Obviously what we want to do is teach children the more simple mappings first so they would learn individual letters and sounds and if we teach the right ones, um, the very frequent single letters, Children can be starting to read simple words very, very quickly. After a couple of weeks of instruction, they can already read many, many words. And if you think about it, if you teach the children the sounds for W, E, N and T, for example, they can read went, but they can also read net and mm. they can read ten mm. um, and various other words as well. So what we do when we have a sequence and structured phonics program is we have that order set up so that children are reading independently as quickly as possible and so we're going from the simple mappings to the more complicated ones like double o is double uh, o is oo or uh, um, uh, double e is e for mm. example so certainly we want to have that structured 
that doesn't mean that all you're doing is drilling a child in phonics the entire time that they're at school. Mm. Of course, there's lots more to reading than just phonics. And at the same time, children would be being read to by the teacher. They would be doing vocabulary building exercises and many, many other literacy activities. But the important thing is that the phonics teaching is explicit and systematic. Mm. A lot of teachers um, ask me about the the sequence. Is the sequence that you teach in important? Like I, I know going from those simple single letter sounds, but is there a particular sequence that is more effective than others that you know? Look, of? I think there needs to be more research on that. Mm. I don't think there's an absolute set sequence that is you know, cast in yep. stone. And so it can, just as long as you have one. That's <laughs> yeah. right. And there, there is some variability in different mm. phonics programs in the sequence, but very broadly speaking, they go from those uh, one-on-one mappings to mm. the sort of many letters to one mm. mapping. And so the ones that follow that kind of broad structure are, are getting the kind of thing that you're, you're looking for. And I don't think you need to be too obsessed about yeah. the precise order. Yeah, great. Um, I have heard people say that teaching phonics is going back to basics or dumbing things down. What is your response to to those sorts of statements? (laughs) Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, I've been studying learning to read for, you know, longer than I care to admit, (laughs) probably more than 25 years now, and I still don't understand how it works. Reading is incredible incredibly complicated and learning to read is incredibly complicated. Louisa Motes, who's a who's a famous um, reading researcher, um, talks about uh, learning to read as being rocket science, you know, yeah. because it really is <laughs> it really rocket is. science. And so I think the idea that um, the science that we have of, of, of learning to read and of teaching reading is going back to basics is kind of Uh, I think exactly the opposite is true. Um, That said, I certainly wouldn't um, step away from the fact that, as we said, in order to teach a complex skill, what you've got to do, and this is very well established in the science of learning across the board, not just in reading, is you have to break things down into their component parts. You have to understand how the learning process works, and then you have to very explicitly teach children um, in a sequence that that maps onto that learning process. So in that sense, it certainly is going back to basics in that you're you're going to the basic components of reading and then building up. Mm, great. So systematic and explicit phonics instruction has been described as a good equaliser or that it levels the playing field for all students when they come to school and, and begin that formal uh, reading instruction. Can you speak to that? Yes. You know, I've often talked about the fact that it's it's very unfortunate that in some ways um, phonics instruction has been associated with perhaps a kind of right-wing and conservative political agenda because I think in many ways phonics is one of the things that we can teach that can really help to overcome disadvantage. And the reason for that is, as we know, many, many children come to school um, with, uh, you know, disadvantaged experiences compared to others. And v- very much that's reflected in often their vocabulary, mm-hmm. the number of words they know, mm-hmm. both the breadth and the depth of their vocabulary. So they simply haven't heard as many words as children from very um, privileged, uh, literate backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So those children come to school with a large vocabulary deficit, 
often with weaker language skills. And it's very, very hard to um, equalise those kinds of things as a teacher because, you know, this is something that's been the child's experience over five years till they've got to school. It's not something that we can fix overnight. But teaching something like phonics is a relatively constrained set of body of knowledge that you can teach a child quite quickly, which then gives them the tools to read for themselves. And if they can read for themselves, they can start to access that rich language and that meaning and that knowledge that perhaps they haven't been able to access um, you know, prior, prior to coming to, to school. Mm-hmm. And so in a way it gives them the opportunity to make up that gap in a way that's going to be much more effective than something that a teacher can do, which is not to say that um, schools don't also play a very important part in building children's knowledge and their language and their vocabulary. Mm. But if you've got a child who's in a position to be able to do that for themselves, you open up the world to them. And, you know, I think it's terribly sad Mm. if children who come from more disadvantaged backgrounds aren't given the opportunity to get get reading independently as quickly as possible. Mm. Mm. So... It's interesting talking about, we've we've mentioned um, vocabulary and um, comprehension. So I guess that leads me to, and we've touched on this, but is phonics all we need? Of course It really isn't, is it? No, no. no. And we should never equate phonics with reading. Yes. Phonics is is a skill Mm. that's important, Um, Mm. you know, a, a teaching method that's important for teaching reading, but it's not reading in itself. And this is where a very basic distinction that has a huge amount of empirical evidence behind it is the simple view of reading. So the simple view of reading makes the basic distinction between decoding or word reading and then language comprehension. Mm -hmm. And numerous studies have shown that in order to comprehend text, reading comprehension, what you need is both of those things. Mm -hmm. So you need to be able to... Um, crack the code and go mm-hmm. from the, the, the print on the page mm-hmm. to a, a, a word, um, but you also need to understand what it is that you're reading. So if you measure children's lit- language comprehension and you measure their decoding ability with something like a non-word reading task, put those two things together and you can virtually with 100% accuracy predict their reading comprehension skill. Mm-hmm. So we know those two things, very broad skills that they are, are absolutely essential for reading. And Mm. phonics is just one part of the decoding process. (laughs) So that's where we've got to place... It's it's, uh, something that we we like to say is that it's um, necessary but not Not sufficient. sufficient. Exactly, exactly. And um, some of your listeners might also be familiar Mm. with um, the big five or Mm. sometimes it's the big six, depending Mm. on how people break these Mm. things up. Mm. But emphasising that there are there are probably five very key bodies of knowledge that children need to be good readers. Mm. There's the the reading comprehension, there's the phonics and the phonemic awareness that we've talked about, but there's also fluency in word reading. Mm. And just being able to sound a word out as little five-year-olds do, Mm. of course that's not reading fluency. Mm. And so children also need to build up to where they're recognising words very rapidly Mm. and getting straight to their meaning. And we know that's what skilled readers do. Mm. Children aren't doing that when they first start reading, but with enough practice... And if we get them reading independently as quickly as possible, they build up that fluency as well, which is another really key part. Mm. As we've been um, talking to teachers, 
And a comment I've heard is that, oh, but teaching phonics in that systematic, explicit way, that's, that's boring and it's rote learning, it's, it's very repetitive for the students. What do you think about that? I think anyone that's seen a good phonics program running in a classroom um, with an engaged and engaging teacher and students would never say that. They have a great time. Some of these phonics programs these days are so much fun. They have little actions that go with the sounds. Mm. Um, They're incredibly interactive. They come often with lots of visual cues as well as little movies and all Mm. sorts of things. So Mm. there's absolutely no reason why teaching phonics needs to be boring and you know I'd I'd be interested in whether it's the teacher that finds it boring or the children (laughs) maybe in some cases it can get a bit boring for the teacher but that's where some of these really new engaging programs can be helpful but I think the other thing to bear in mind here is that children really enjoy something that they succeed at and so with phonics if they see themselves being able to read even these simple little words very quickly, they have a huge sense of achievement. Mm. And that Mm. achievement itself is extremely motivating and enjoyable for children. And as we know, I mean, it's a bit funny, isn't it? Because certainly know from my own children, they love repetition. Yeah. (laughs) Again, we parents and teachers might. Yes. (laughs) So maybe Please don't ask me to read that book again. Maybe that's our perspective. That might be our perspective, not the kids. And I think the kids really enjoy something that they can understand what they're learning, what's coming out the other end and can apply it really quickly, that's hugely enjoyable for yeah. children. And when they're, you know, they're, they're seeing and they're feeling that success, that's um, very empowering. That's right. And that's not to say yeah. that maybe back in the, you know, uh, 60s and 70s that there mm. were some, mm. you know boring repetitive worksheets that Mm. were perhaps not the best form Mm. of instruction Mm. but as with anything else Mm. we can make um there are ways of making these lessons very Mm. engaging engaging what about non-words yes again it's it's so unfortunate that there appears to have been um so much misunderstanding around this because there's there's two key things to say about non-words and, and maybe we should stop calling them non-words. Mm, maybe mm. we should call them novel words, mm, you know, mm. um, words that could be words, but you just haven't seen them yet. <laughs> um, because the first thing about non-words is in the context of a phonics program, they're designed entirely for assessment. Mm. You don't teach the children to read non-words. When you're doing phonics instruction, the children are learning letters and sounds and they're implying them in real words mm. and they're learning mm. to read those words in real books and they're putting the sounds together to make real words. The reason we need non-words for assessment is because we want to make sure that the children have actually learned the skill we're trying to teach them. And so we're trying to find out whether they've learned the relationships between letters and sounds. If we give them words, they might already know how to read that word. Mm. Um, They might already be familiar with it, and so they can just guess it, and Mm. they don't have to apply the skill that we want to test now that's great if they know that word but it doesn't allow us to test what we want to test so that's why we use nonsense words it's an index of a child's ability to apply uh, grapheme phoneme letter sound Mm. uh, correspondences and you know of course this happens all the time if you think of a, um, a doctor's office they might you know measure heart rate to assess someone's fitness that's not to suggest that we go around training our heart rate it's an index it's Mm. an index Mm. of something that we believe is important in part of the body and so we have the most targeted index that we can of that particular process Mm. the other thing about 
non-words is it's really important to remember that, especially for a child starting to learn to read, nearly all the words they see are non-words to them. They don't, they don't recognise these things. They are new. And so what you're doing when you ask a child to read a non-word is not very different from what they're doing in their own you know, reading experience. And of course, even you and I, as skilled readers, we're constantly coming across new printed words that we don't know in, in its written form and often don't know mm. the meaning of either. So, mm. you know, 10 years ago, Google would have been a new yes, word. A new word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're learning those all the time. We're, we're reading people's names that yeah. are unfamiliar and we very adeptly apply that basic knowledge mm. of letter sound correspondences when required to. Most of the time as skilled readers, we don't need to, mm. but mm. we know that skill's there because when we come yeah. across something unfamiliar, we immediately can apply those I skills. I guess there's, um, I just come to mind lots of texts that yes. uh, with authors who, you know, have all that lovely, you know, made up language, oh, like, you know, like Harry Potter absolutely. or I mean, Roald Dahl books or, yes. you know, where yeah. you need to draw on those skills because there's all those, you know, lovely, new, exciting words. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and Harry Potter's a perfect example. Yes. I mean, it's filled with yes. new vocabulary. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you, the only way you you can read those words is, is the same way as you would a non-word. Yes. Mm. So I guess it, it's really good to remember that those non-words or made-up words are really just there to inform teachers. That's right. What is it that the student can actually do? That's right. Do they know those letter sound correspondences? Do they know how to how to blend through the word? Exactly. So it's just a tool. It's just a tool. Mm. It's just mm. a tool to pick up on one specific mm. skill in reading. We also want to know what mm. kind of word readers the mm. kids are, and we mm. want to know how well they're comprehending what they're mm. reading. So we have to, to use to, different tests yeah, for that. Have to have multiple sources of of, um, of information. Absolutely, mm. and this is just one part. Wow. Yeah, great. So let's move on to um, decodable readers, which. Um, I see as as just just one resource that um, we can have in our classrooms, so that students can practice those skills that they're that they're learning. Um, Correct. What's your um, yes? That would be on decodable readers. That would be the way I would see it as mm. as well. No one's suggesting that decodable readers are great literature, mm. or mm. that um, you know they should replace the kind of literature that children will be exposed to by being read to by yes. their parents and by teachers and that hopefully as soon as possible they will be reading for themselves. Mm. But what they are, exactly as you say, are a tool to allow children to practice what they've learned. Mm. And again, the science of learning tells us beyond just reading but in relation to learning a whole load of skills that the best way to learn something after you've been taught it is to practice it. Um, and practice yes. it as soon as possible mm. after that learning has mm. taken place so mm. you can consolidate that learning. Mm. Now, if you teach, you know, um, you've taught three or four key grapheme-phoneme correspondences to a child, mm. then it makes a lot of sense to then give them a little book where they get to practice those particular letters mm. and sounds. Now, if you just give them any old book or one of the levelled readers that children are often given, you have no control over what the letters and sounds are. They may not be in there, or if they are in there, they might only appear once. Exactly. Whereas decodables are designed to practice that particular... They're designed to be made up of the letters and sounds that the Mm. children Mm. have learned to give them an opportunity to practice Mm. and, once again, to give them that opportunity to experience success. Mm. So 
these children, again, even from just a couple of weeks of reading instruction, will be able to read a whole book. And feel that success. And that's really exciting for a child. Now, look, I would be the first to say that I don't think we want to be using decodable readers over any kind of extended period. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's all about getting to the the good literature mm-hmm. and but what we want to do is we want to get children's skills learnt and consolidated absolutely as quickly as we can mm-hmm. so we can get them moving on those those the real books, yes, the real books. <laughs> so we want them in the real books this would be something that you would just be doing in the very very initial mm-hmm. stages of instruction so while they are using those decodable readers in that initial stage do you think it is limiting their their exposure to good language and and vocab oh of course not it's just it's just something that they're because, doing in addition yeah, as a because form they're getting of practice. it elsewhere, aren't they? That's they're right. Their the, yeah. their teacher will still be reading mm. the class a book. Mm. Um, they'll still be having all sorts of language activities. They'll still most of the time be having their parents read them a story or mm. seven before they go yeah. to bed. So it's just one small component, one it's resource. It's just one of, small yeah, component to that, practice a particular that, skill. So mm. it's a little bit like thinking of if you think about maths mm. that. Um, the child's doing a worksheet to mm-hmm. um, practice the numbers that they've just learned. Yes. No, that's not to yeah. suggest that that's all that that's they should the be doing, <laughs> you know, in yeah. understanding yeah. the world of number and mathematics. But it's something that's important to practice, and yes. I don't think anybody would question that. So it's just a, a tool to assist teachers to give children the practice that they need. Mm. And again, I think it's one of these things where. Um, Let's ask the children what they think of the decodable readers. Yeah, a lot yeah. of, and they've come a long way. Like I have a look at some of the readers that you can you can get now. Those decodable readers, and um, you know, they've got colourful pictures. They're they're lovely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. It, we need to be bearing in mind too that the relevant comparison here, if you're not giving mm. children decodable readers, the usual way that children are given an opportunity to practice is with the these levelled readers. Yeah. Now they can be pretty boring as well yeah. and don't have yeah. a huge amount of um, vocabulary or meaning in them either but especially mm. the very early ones it's very much kind of I see a mm. dog I mm. see a cat so if you were to make a comparison yeah. between those they're very similar in terms of the vocabulary in terms of this mm. you know the richness of the narrative and the storyline yeah. but one's allowing the child to practice a learned skill and the other one is kind of a bit hit and miss mm. Have they got a place, the levelled readers? Like, could you be using them in conjunction? Do they have a place or do you just think it, it's better just to really hone in on those? Um, I'm probably skills? not the expert to answer that and mm. I don't know if there's been any direct research. I would feel that, based on what I know, that using the decodable readers, certainly in the very early First. stages, and then trying mm. to get children onto real simple books um, as quickly as possible is is probably a good way to go. Well, thank you. Um, It's been a lovely chat to to, um, just clarify some of those really key messages about some early reading instruction and the role that phonics plays as one component um, out of five or six. (laughs) Six. Six. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. If you would like to learn more about this topic, we've got some links to some further reading and suggested resources in the notes and on our web page. If you'd like to suggest an idea for a podcast, just email literacy.numeracy at det.com.
www.nsw.edu.au and just put podcast in the subject line. 